This is Jen Decker, right, for Resolute Recruiting. Thank you very much for joining us. I saw the post on LinkedIn of all places, and it had something to do with a social and energy conference. And I said, you know what? Two out of three ain't bad. I don't even know what the third is yet. So what's going on with Jen Decker? What's it, Jen Decker, right, and this uh, social that you guys have and then the conference? Well, we are um, an upstream services uh, oil and gas recruiting firm, and we are hosting a networking event for, well, anybody in the oil and gas industry that's visiting or local to Denver um, for this kind of kickoff to the Your Tech or Unconventional Resources Conference that's coming up on the 22nd of July. And uh, I believe they're having a uh, kickoff happy hour themselves, and we are extending that um, down the street at Live at Jack's, uh, a jazz club with barbecue drinks and plenty of networking um what was the name of that place second event. sorry live at live at jacks jacks okay and yeah used to be jazz at jacks and uh so we'll just we're just hosting a kind of a powwow get together where people uh, of like mind in the industry whether that's operators service providers um equipment providers you know, you name it. Anybody that has uh, a stake in oil and gas industry is more than welcome to show up and network and just kind of meet some new friends and possible business acquaintances and uh, try to make some some stuff happen. It's it's always a fun time. Uh, we're hosting. We're going to have a um, like I said, plenty of cocktails, uh, but we're we're getting some barbecue together and it should be a nice event. It's our second one and the last turnout was really nice too. Hoping to make this a little bit bigger and with your help it might might really be big. Well, maybe now with the next question because we talk brass tacks here. Uh, is it a you got to pay at the door? Is it a cash bar? Is, is there someone sponsoring the whole event? Um, you know, if I'm going to the event, putting out a few bucks, is that um, what, <laughs> what, what's, well, what, what are my expectations in my wallet when I go to your yes, event? Yes. So expectations to the wallet are it is free entry. Um, we are uh, hosting the event. Resolute Recruiting is the host. And so um, definitely bring your business relevant ID card or, or business card rather and your ID because it is a club. So ID is required for entrance. It's Colorado. So they ID everyone. Um, but we'll be handing out drink tickets. And anything above that, people can pay cash bar if they want to go above and beyond on some, you know, high-end, you know, whatever. If they're getting out their crazy McAllen shots, I don't think we're hosting that. But we will get the party started, so to speak. (laughs) Well, at least you're being honest about it because I've been to a few oil and gas events. And the only thing I need to say is they know how to work hard and play hard. So... No question. I've I've been to a few myself, and um, we're we're not big pimping like you know the the operators, but we're we're here to put on a good time and hopefully make it worthwhile for the folks that show up, um, uh, specifically for for business connections. And there's a lot of political upheaval in Colorado in general, and I know a few people from um, uh, WOGA, Women of Oil and Gas, uh, Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Uh, hopefully, our friends at Energy Strong Colorado will uh, be showing up or making an appearance, um, and you know anybody else that is there just to kind of figure out what's going on with uh, Colorado and what the industry is doing here. But I am a national oil and gas upstream services recruiter, so um, it's really about just me and our friends that are not local and uh, extending the handshake. Are Are you out of Colorado? Yes. So, um, so you're you're national, located. but but you're actually physically in Colorado. Yes, sir. We're uh, our office is located in Niwot, Colorado, which is north of Denver, uh, kind of towards the the base of um, the Rockies, going towards Boulder. It's gorgeous up here. I wouldn't want to work anywhere else, quite frankly. And um, it'll be exciting to go down to the big city, so to speak, and and just meet a bunch of new people. The last uh, conference that we hosted a happy hour was for the Doug conference, and that was a nice turnout. I'm hoping to make this a little bit bigger, though. 
Jen Decker right with us, Resolute Recruiting, National Oil and Gas Recruiting Company, based, or at least she's based out of Colorado. I heard Boulder, Colorado. I sat, I was at the Energy Expo in <laughs> Gillette recently, and I learned a new term, Boulder, uh, Boulder, Colorado Democrats or something like that. And uh, it had to do with... <laughs> With uh, basically, they ba- they blamed Boulder, Colorado, for the whole banning of oil and gas in Colorado. So I I, I, got, I got the picture pretty quick. You mentioned that you could see it from there. You're out of Colorado, <laughs> like-minded people here. Where where where? What exactly is is going on from you know your perspective? Because you work in oil and gas. I'll tell you where I'm coming from. Is five years ago. Uh, I go to Colorado all the time, and I usually stay in Fort Collins, um, and I drive into Denver. I'll be honest. I, I do not like Denver's yeah. traffic. It's, it's out of my— Oh, I don't either. Yeah, it's a, I'm, I'm out of my element, and I know it. Um, Fort Collins, I can move around pretty quick. I got horse tooth. I can go hike. It's, it's easy peasy. I like it. So, <laughs> But I did start noticing that um, when I talked to people in the breakfast bars— they would look over their sh- they would look over their shoulder before they said they worked in oil and gas, and when I said I worked in the oil and gas industry, all of a sudden I got a sneer, just like when I used to say I, I was a Redskins fan. I'm not a Redskins fan anymore because I got shamed out of it. And so I was I, I think about this. I was a little kid and I used to play Cowboys and Indians, and I liked the bone arrow, and my friend liked the guns, and we watched. Uh, Cowboys Redskins on Sunday and I picked the uh, Redskins he picked the Cowboys that's been my favorite team since I was four years old all of a sudden now I go to the grocery store I'm wearing a Redskins hat and I get shamed I'm like screw this I don't even like Daniel Snyder I'm done (laughs) I kind of felt like that in Colorado like what's going on this was five years ago well flash forward to today and you've got a governor saying you know war on oil and gas um, what, what is a, what is a like-minded person in Colorado these days? You know, it's kind of a, it's a different question because I don't think there is an easy answer for this. Uh, well, I was thinking, are you trying to trick me into something here? But there isn't an easy answer. It, um, uh, Colorado overwhelmingly voted against Proposition 112 back in, what, when's our voting? November? <laughs> um, back in November that was voted down and that was the proposition to ban, um, drilling within, I believe, 2,500 feet of, uh, whether it was a residence or a, a water, whatever, it was It was a really convoluted um, proposition that uh, the, the state overwhelmingly voted down because it would have virtually prohibited uh, any uh, future drilling for oil and gas in Colorado. And, um, and now, uh, with uh, the new governor in place, he's doing some, in my personal opinion, really shady business trying to, under the radar, put legislation through. Um, first off, on the first snowpocalypse we had of the season, I'll, I'll joke, but it was like a really bad snow. Um, and he was diligently working from his car um, while running idle gas um, and working to uh, prohibit future drilling or make it more in the uh, county's uh, purview to decide if drilling would happen in their individual counties. And that was all, um, from my understanding, sponsored by uh, mostly boulderites that um, the least amount of drilling, as as far as I know, happened in that uh, kind of that side of the realm. (laughs) Uh, Weld County does I think it's 80% of the oil production in the state, and it borders Boulder County, which is, you know, again, personally, there's a lot of uninformed people that are afraid of what fracking or the oil and gas industry is because they don't have the proper information to make an educated argument one way or the other, whatever it is. Um, and so, and one of the things that I'm excited about and that I follow regularly is Energy Strong. Um, they've got a real following out here and their, their job is, and they're oil and gas industry professionals and they're, they're going to bat, um, going to the courthouses, going to, um, government, you know, gatherings, uh, town halls, but they're also disseminating the information that they glean, um, I believe in a, 
as much as it can be um, nonpartisan way. Uh, so it, it's not leaning right or left if you're going to talk politics, but it's definitely pro oil and gas, and uh, because we care about our livelihoods in this industry. So um, I'm just excited because there's a lot of people that will be at this conference that I'll be able to personally just have conversation with as a layperson. I've only been in oil and gas recruiting for a, just over a year, and so I've had my uh, plate full for learning, learning, learning all of the different uh, realms, and, and there's no way in heck I'm ever going to you know, feel like I've accomplished any of that knowledge. Um, and I'm sorry I'm rambling, but I'm just so excited no. to meet people and kind of suck in the, the I'm, information I'm, and learn as much as I can. I'm very glad you are rambling. In fact, I wanted to ask <laughs> you about your perception of oil and gas. Um, I, in fact, I've just done three solid hours of interviews, and one of the topics that kept coming up over and over and over again, and I don't know your age, but was uh, millennials, how there is this, you know, rash, there's this perception of millennials. And my, my thought is pretty simple that I feel bad for millennials because they grew up in a very extreme world. Everything was the best. Everything was the worst. And they, they didn't even have individualism. They sat at desks. I mean, sorry, tables, not desks. And everything was team oriented, everything else. So they, they were in a very polarizing world. And then they didn't have a lot of individualism. Now they're on the real world. And they're trying to figure out their definition of them and their, their, what they want to do in their life. And they're being told who they are every day, every day by different mm -hmm. groups and this and that. And I, I again, I, I feel bad. I'm a gen. Right. I, I'm a gen. Negative. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it is. Um, but it was prompted early by this. Hey, they're going to save the world. These young entrepreneurs, and then all of a sudden, on a dime, it just turned. You know, it just like it just completely turned. <laughs> and again, it's that polarization part. I, I come from the Gen X. Uh, d demographic, hey man, we're lazy, whatever, man, you know, Colorado, <laughs> hey man, Colorado, right up my alley, and so, <laughs> the first gas and grass fest by Gen Xers, you know, um, but uh, millennials, you know, like I said, they kind of got batted back and forth like pin ping pongs, and now they're in the real world, where I'm going with this is you've been in the energy industry now for a year, what I've seen over the last decade is when a millennial enters the oil and gas industry, they almost become their biggest cheerleader. Whereas when they didn't, when they were not in the in industry, they almost had a socialized engineer perception of the energy industry to where when they got into it, it was so wrong and so different. They almost overcorrect to become a cheerleader. I don't know if I, now I'm rambling. Well, no, I, I think I understand your question. You're, well, essentially you're saying it's a it's polarizing because the um, the millennials you didn't say this but it's my perception that uh, and I'm not a millennial I'm just out of that just a, a few years out of that uh, generation and um, they are very much so you know they care about our environment there's no question right they care about you know making you know <laughs> paper straws, for God's sake, okay, um, for example, um, doing the little things that they can, and they're kind of dealt um, a, I don't know, a rough hand, I think, uh, based on what you said earlier, um, and because everybody says the word millennial, and there's always a negative connotation to it, um, I also think that they're really trying to prove themselves in an industry that... Um, not necessarily the oil and gas industry, but any industry, when they go in, um, they have some really great ideas that maybe progressive thinking and like would actually uh, progress a company, um, whichever business perspective that may be, offering new points of views that perhaps the senior management or ownership isn't willing to consider because eh, it's worked fine the way it's always been and we're not willing to change or grow or whatever. And um, specifically to the oil field, uh, from what I've seen, is there's there's plenty of guys that are, uh, because baby boomers are all getting to the point where they're very close to retirement if they aren't already, and we need to have the, um, the younger folks come up, whether that's millennials or whatever, and, and people in their 30s and 40s, 
need to be promoted more from what I can see um, a little more readily and their ideas need to be considered a little bit more um, in order for businesses to maintain uh, progressive forward movement um, and, and maintain viability and, and just keep up with uh, technology, so to speak. I mean, there's people that think, oh, we've always done it this way, it's worked fine and we're still making money. Well, more power to them, but the truth is, is if you don't continually infuse fresh blood or fresh perspective, or at least, very least, keep up um, on what's going on with your competitors and, and do what you can to maintain that, you might find yourself, you know, not with a job or a business. Um, and so one of the ways they can do that would be to encourage growth from the bottom, and that would be from the younger generation that they need to train up. Um, but the difficulty is, is there's a lot of younger generation that, that absolutely thinks they have to go to college and get into debt, and no kidding, like upwards of a hundred grand in debt, and they will never, ever, ever pay it off unless they're in the oil and gas industry or some very specialized um, business. So, uh, turns out. Uh, College degree is great and everything, but you don't need that in the oil and gas industry for the most part. So I would encourage people to just uh, apply and start getting in on the ground up if they can. Well, you'd like our program. Six years ago, we started doing stories on, um, actually seven years ago, the trades and the two-year degrees versus the four-year degrees that the four-year degrees mm -hmm. were not giving you a long-term net gain. They were They were producing too much debt for someone to you know, really get back on their feet with the job market the way it was. Whereas if you, mm -hmm. went, if you went in the oil and gas industry, or even if you got your CDL, went out and became a truck driver, by the time you're 22 years old, you could have a half a million dollars in the bank and go start a Subway franchise or go do whatever you want. I mean, there's the, yeah. the world's your oyster at that point. You can go to school then if you want to. But um, there was just a transition happening in the marketplace that was just so apparent. You know, I used to joke – when I was in college, all the computer programmers, you know, there were CSI and MSI and MIS and all these different acronyms. I used to joke that, you, you know, you're writing code to put yourself out of business, right? <laughs> They'd be like, what? And I'd be like, that's what you're doing, man. <laughs> so lo and behold, that ends up what happens to some people. But uh, by the way, folks, Jen Decker Wright with us, Resolute Recruiting Real Treat. Not only is she a oil and gas recruiter, but... She also, also lives in Colorado, so she gets the national conversation but the local perspective, and uh, it's a rare thing to have these days. Um, I did want to ask you about women in the industry. We talked about the millennials and kind of that retirement. By the way, 70% of the, re the um, industry will be, will be retired by 2022, I'm told. 2022. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it, they call it the big cruise shift. I called it the retirement issue. Uh, I ended up talking to a number of people in uh, a conference in Gillette, and we were all talking about the same deal, but we just had different names for it. And so it's, wow. yeah, it is, it's, it's about 70% of the industry by 2022 will be retired, and it'll be a whole new industry. So there is a bit of a vetting process going on right now in the industry because of the younger thought process of, okay, how environmental are we here? Like, are we... You know, call, are, are we call, Boulder, Colorado, or are we, uh, you know, Grand Junction, Colorado? <laughs> um, I will, Somewhere in between. My personal, my personal perspective is I'm a very middle of the road um, in, in anything with, uh, with anything cons like uh, politics. Um, I'm middle of the road. I like to call myself a think for myself or like give me all of the information I will also seek out information, and I'm not talking about, like, you know, from partisan sites or, you know, something that clearly will just align with my own views. I am absolutely willing to listen to other people's perspectives, um, and I, I personally feel um, more confident about the industry that I'm in now that I have more personal knowledge about it, meaning... If somebody wants to say, oh, you're in oil and gas, you know, how does that make you feel, you know, you know, contributing to the downfall of the environment, if that's what they said. I don't think anybody would ever have the brass cojones to say some stuff like that to me. But um, if they did, I would be prepared to have an intelligent conversation with them about, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, 
I, I didn't realize your point of view. I'm interested in learning more about how you think we can sustain our environment. Um, and what are, what are the solutions? Because there's a lot of people that will complain about just anything, not just this environment issue in, in general. People complain, um, bitch and moan, and, and then they don't offer up solutions or what the next step is to remedy said problem, right? And um, one of the things that the Boulderites, um, I will lump it in because I, I have to say it's like their, their, their city car is a Subaru or a Prius, and that's fine. Um, what? Not a Tesla? I'm just kidding. I had to take a shot there. And, Sorry. and Tesla. And nope, you got it. That's in there too. But that's for the other folks that actually can afford to drive nice cars um, because they also live in a big house that is fueled by natural gas that is locally drilled. So, um, and it's drilled within Weld County, most likely, or somewhere on a farmland, or in my case, thank God, I was lucky. I moved into a, a house in, uh, in Thornton, and two months later got word from a, an EMP that they were going to be drilling in our area, and so now I'm getting oil and gas money, so I don't mind. Here, here's what um, here's one of the things that we talk about on this program. Sorry to sidebar for just a second because you know we're a non-political sure. show, but some of the things we do talk about stems around some policy. Normally, when it happens, but one of the things that we are talking about right now is what if we shifted the subsidies that have gone to oil to solar and wind? Okay, for forty years mm-hmm. now. For 40 years, solar and wind have gotten subsidies, and they put the benchmarks out, okay? 20 years, they got a lot of solar and wind subsidies. Well, now they're like apparently the the next generation of energy, yet they haven't proven anything in 40 years to the tune to where every person that puts solar panels on their house, their McMansions in Texas, they didn't gain any money, okay? Um, the, the, the solar industry and the wind industry promised they would have affordable energy for us 20 years ago. We gave them more money. They promised again. They don't have it. The most affordable thing to the consumer that solar offers is probably a cell phone charger for when you go camping. Maybe, (laughs) no, I'm being totally serious though. Maybe like, you know, your ice shack on the weekends, you power it up during the week with a solar panel. You can get a couple week, you know, maybe a couple days worth of energy, my point is, is you can't do much with it. Wind, forget about it. Farmers 150 years ago were more efficient with the windmills than we are today. And that is, that there's, oh yeah, all they did is they used water to, you know, get, they used uh, wind to get water out of the ground and, and uh, basically power their barn. Oh yeah. That was, and that was more efficient than what we're doing today. And in fact, those farmers had a better reclamation program than what we have today for their windmills. Okay. Now. What if Let me we, ask you just really quick, too, yeah. Jason, that um, something that people don't take into account is um, how do those windmills get, you know, built in the first place? And oh, it's, one way it's ridiculous. And then, and then you rip out the forests. <laughs> With diesel. <laughs> well, not only that, but you, you, you got to rip out the forests, and then it, it upsets the migration patterns of birds. And listen, there's wind energy. Wind energy is probably, and I'm being totally honest, Probably the least environmental out of all the energies, and that includes coal, okay? I mean, totally, wow, okay. yeah. I'm being totally honest when I say that because America's air has progressively gotten cleaner for the last 100 years, and it is one of the top in the nation, and we are the ones bringing regulations over to other countries. So I've, I've, I've had it with the, with the cult of environmentalism on our program because it is no longer political, they are affecting policy and the way people do lives. Now, if, if we want to live like Germany, who just fired up the coal plants again last month because their 10-year push on renewables didn't work, but guess what? Their energy bill is now times four to five what it was a while was it what it was five years ago. So if Amer- I read that too. So yeah. if America wants your energy bill to be quadrupled and then you just gotta fire up the coal plants anyways, keep going. You keep going, America, because that's what's happening. So, Mike, 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 sorry, I, I, you got me on a soapbox here. Normally, I don't do this. I, and I want to ask you about women and energy next, which is terrible because it's okay. like, you know, we're leading. <laughs> we're, we're all over the board here. So what, what we're trying to have a civil conversation about is the solar and wind energies. If you were to give them a letter grade, they would get a D or probably an F because that, that's by their standards, no one else's. 
Now, what if we took 50% of those or even 100% of those subsidies, shifted them to natural gas? Number one, it would solve the flaring issue in the Bakken and down in the Permian and other areas quickly because the energy industries, you pay more taxes than anybody, you got more regulations than anybody, and guess what? You still make sure that the churches have bake sales and you still make sure the Little League people have baseball uniforms. Now you got to go fund every science project there is too? No, it ain't happening. I get it. I get it. So imagine if they got a subsidy, not not a tax credit, a subsidy so that all of these that that crazy guy up in Canada who's mining bitcoins from natural gas, give him some money to try it. Why not? It might solve something. How about that guy down in, you know, down in uh, Texas who's figured out a way to turn natural gas into water so he can put a greenhouse in the middle of the desert? Oh, that sounds like a good idea. So what I'm getting at is you might you might get some you might find some new super plastic where everybody can have a pool in their backyard for fifteen hundred bucks or better yet XL well, that'd be nice. or better yet XL Energy who I believe is in Colorado can do what yes. they what they want to do which is put in fueling stations in everybody's garage so if you had a natural gas powered car you could fuel it in at the end of the night and it'd be charged up ready to go by the beginning of the day how's that for green now you're not flaring anything. You're, t- you're turning vehicles into net. That's what I mean. The, my point is, is that if the subsidies were shifted, all of a sudden the creative innovation, smart, clever, clever capitalists would come out of the woodwork instead of being funneled down the, the solar and wind. All right. So you, you, you heard my soapbox. Yes. The basic question <laughs> is about natural gas subsidies with a purpose, with an actual purpose. We could solve the flaring problem in five years. Um, well, I, I think that a natural gas subsidy would make sense. Um, I've, I've seen people fueling up with, you know, uh, natural gas. Um, I know the cars do not, cars or trucks that are converted to that, um, for like the, the forest service, for example. Um, I believe they use trucks that, uh, use LNG and I don't believe they run as far or as long, meaning they have to fill up every single day anyway. In, so in, um, if they're going to be on in, I'm sorry, <laughs> in, in Detroit, uh, Ford has some experiments going, and they can't go on more than 150 miles in a day. Yeah, it's yep. very really minimal. Um, but but for a lot of people run around town, you know, when you're only driving 10 miles to work or five miles back, it works really well. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah if you had yeah. that, like you said, like a fueling station in your in your garage, or or not, maybe not your garage. I don't oh know no, no, works, no! It's actually it's the garage. It's just all it is is it's it goes from the gas line right to your car. That's huh. that's how easy it is. That's what I mean. That's that's where the technology is. But like, you know, Cummings had to stop investing in engines because they couldn't figure out a way to get those you know those trucks over. Um, the, the Rocky mountains Cummings engines is a, one of the, one of the big <laughs> yes, engines yes, that, no, okay, they, they go into trucks and semis and they couldn't figure out how to get over the Rocky mountains. And then, you know, the downturn happened and guess what? The downturn happens. R and D goes away right away. R and D goes yes. away pretty quick. And that's where I mean, I'm not trying to get in a political battle here or say one energy is better than the other. All I'm saying is that solar and wind is at a 40 year body of work. And they've gotten 40 years of subsidies. And natural gas, you know, oil and gas doesn't get subsidies. They're lucky if they can get a tax break. <laughs> I mean, in North Dakota, they get taxed like 11.5%. It's like one of the highest in the nation. Yet when when they try to get a tax break, everybody calls it a subsidy. It ain't a subsidy. It's a tax break. So I don't know. Um, we... <laughs> We're, we're, we're into words here, and we like to keep people true to their meaning, you know. And you were, I remember, anyway, you are saying something earlier about uh, shady, and I, and I thought, actually, if you look up the word shady in the dictionary, what your governor did in Colorado was actually shady. He presented himself oh, as a certain I, way, and, he no pre- and, and when it came to it, he wasn't that. And he thinks he did it for the greater good, and so it was justified in his mind. And that's why he believes that, you know, his shady behavior is okay, but at the end of the day, it's still defined as shady by Webster's Dictionary. So it's it, it definitely yeah. is, yeah. and I, I there's a lot of um, it, it's it's disappointing more than anything that you it, when your state I don't again I don't care what way you voted, but you vote and you vote a certain way, and then the majority speaks to what they want to pass, 
and then he directly went against that but figured out a loophole to circumvent the the terminology let's say he just he went to oh well we we couldn't get that done because it was voted down but let's do this and let's make it really difficult and um you know slow up you know gum up the works so to speak and uh it just matters who who's lining their pockets, I guess, the most. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me um, because I feel like Colorado's pockets are lined by the energy industry a lot because we produce a lot here. I I think we produce um, we're in the top five. The so the top oil producing counties in the U.S. Weld County is number three, which is where I drive through to, to come to work every day. And they do 13.7 million barrels a month. Number three in the nation. And yet Colorado state governor is trying to um, dampen that by making it in the county's best interest to decide if they can uh, drill or not. And well, that's fine. Um, well, county is, is on board with the oil and gas industry. Um, but there are certain cities within the county that, um, you know, don't want anything to do with it. And that's fine. I mean, that's that's their prerogative if, they're, if people are voting that way. But what's the problem is, or what the problem is, is that um, the commissioners of different chairs or whatever, they just decide, no, we're not going to do this, or we're not going to have a public vote, or, in fact, we're going to put put this through so quickly, nobody has time to even know we're doing it. That's what's shady. So, um it's just all under the radar, they think. But, you know, I hope they remember that when the next voting season comes around. Um, and I hope people actually choose to get out and vote the way that they believe. Uh, again, whichever way that is, I just encourage people to vote, period. I, I can right. I can tell you from an, an outside perspective that did not follow this on a day-to-day, nor was I enveloped in the day-to-day culture of it, was... Uh, after the governor won, you know, I, and I followed the SB, was it uh, 112, Prop 112, and then SB 181, so it had been Prop 112 that yes. was on the ballot. So I followed that, and right. I followed that the governor's enough. race and everything like that. And um, honestly, I kind of got all jumbled up with the whole SB uh, 181 and the Prop 112. I got confused in the pro- and because it happened so fast. Um what caught my attention is when the governor came out and called it the war on oil and gas. I went, I turned my head and went, whoa, Colorado just took a hard turn there. I didn't realize they were so anti-fossil fuels to where the governor would come out and call it the war on oil and gas. And that to me was shady because I thought, okay, if you would have campaigned like that, I don't think you would have won, buddy. Um, he wouldn't have. And, and, and okay, so I, he I did never, not. He did not campaign like that, right? He did not, because that was no, the first time I heard that term not. was after he was elected. Okay, all right. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, he's from Boulder, from what I understand. So there's, uh, I mean, in hindsight, I voted my conscience and I voted him, uh, which I'm almost ashamed to say. But, Jeez, I better edit that uh, out quick. Hang on. I know, I know. Just cut it out, cut it out, Jason. I'm saying it only because I agreed with certain think platforms that he ran on. None of them had to do with the oil and gas industry, by the way. And do you think I would have voted that way, considering I was in this industry at that point? No. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's ridiculous, you know. And I voted no against one one twelve. Um, and most of the state did as well. I was a proponent or an advocate and was posting like a, up a storm about people. You better get out and vote. If you, if you don't think this can affect your livelihoods, you're wrong, that kind of a thing. And, um, again, not to be on a soapbox, but for information reasons, like you don't realize what this is actually going to do. It's a fancy worded, you know, thing that, Oh, it's not going to be within a, a waterway or in your backyard. And it's like, well then quit building your friggin' houses on top of a well site. How about that? So the whole problem, one of the major problems here is that, um, the, the issue in Firestone, Colorado, where the, the, unfortunately two lives were lost. I, I understand that, um, something wasn't plugged properly. And so there was an explosion or a, or a major fire at least. And, um, 
these people are saying, you know, well, the oil and gas industry needs to be safer and they need to do more. They need to do more and more and more. Well, first off, accidents do happen in any industry. And um, last I checked, maybe don't friggin' build a residential um, whatever community on top of a well pad. <laughs> I'm not I'm I'm not a rocket scientist, but I, I'm pretty sure you you on purpose shouldn't do those kinds of things, or you should be careful with where you're digging. Um, and I don't think it's those people's fault. It was an accident. Accidents happen. No, I, I think I there's think a they, there, there, there's a disconnect. Um, when I grew up, energy was never political, and it's political now, and, and that's unfortunate, yeah. you know. And um, there, the disconnect I'm talking about is probably the same one that happened with agriculture, to where you know people don't realize, you know. A hamburger you know that started as a cow you know they don't realize that now they've kind of you know it's true you know there was a time where they'll eat it and if they knew they'd probably something different you know but so there was a disconnect in the egg industry it worked out for the benefit you know and to where now people are okay with it as long as they know where it comes from as long as you know it's locally sourced and massaged by small children over in china or something like that yeah, and it's all korea. good korea yeah you got to make sure that the beef's nice and massaged and fed kelp every day you know and that sort of thing whatever um so i i get that part of it and i think the energy industry there was a gentleman from canada that pointed this out to me um that the energy industry spent a long t long time doing government affairs and all of a sudden the government got really polarized and political and the politicians just started lumping everything in red and blue and the oil and gas industry just got lumped in with the red all of a sudden over a three to four year process. Yeah. And then now your, your representatives are now your PR people, which you don't want that because no. now all of a sudden oil and gas is red and blue. And to where, and I've heard it from you a few times in this interview, you've, you've gone on the defense a few times off of something you've said because you're so used to people coming back at you. And I'm like, hey, Jen Decker, right? You're in a safe space here. <laughs> and so um, you can you can talk <laughs> you as fr freely as you want about whatever. I'll yeah. let I'll I'll let you, you know, <laughs> lift yourself up and hang you're yourself right. in the same sentence, you know? Um You're you're right. I've I um I do try to be very careful about what I say. One, because of the industry I'm in, um you know, like I said, I would never admit who I voted for before because it, like you just said, they've painted it red. It's only red. It's not, or oil and gas is red. And if you go another way, then, you know, you're voting for, you're the, you're the enemy or whatever. But I'm not the enemy. I'm, I'm over here trying to make deals happen and, and better people's lives, uh, genuinely speaking. That's, that's my main goal in this. And that's what feeds me and drives me to keep doing this. And it helps that I really like the industry. Um, Prior to this job, uh, again, something that it's almost like, oh, do I even admit this? Prior to this industry, I was in car sales, car, new cars and trucks and used cars and trucks. Um, and I did really well for myself in sales of that vehicular persuasion. And I will tell you what, I friggin' have had gas guzzling beasts. And you know what? I currently own a car that I have to put premium in. And you know what? When I go to the gas tank, just the same as anybody else or the, the gas station, and I go to fill up, I'm like, the prices are raising up. But now the really cool thing is I go, good, let them raise because we need this for our community, the oil and gas community, which is what makes literally this world go around for the, the type of lifestyles that we're used to. I mean, you don't go buy Nike shoes or go buy a brand new bike, just literally a bicycle. Where does the, the paint come from? Chemicals that paints that bike. Where does the rubber or the ability to process the rubber come from? Um, the oil for the chain. Like, even if you decided you were going to strictly go down to, I'm just walking and riding my bike everywhere. I'm not going to even have an, a vehicle. Well, good. More power to you. You'll be really in shape. But you also need those, you know, fancy bike shorts with the spandex and the um, whatever in them, the cushion to, you know, pad your butt. And a lot of that stuff, the makeup I am wearing on my face is produced with chemicals from the oil and gas industry. 
So let, let me ask you this, because you're, you're, what you're describing is that disconnect, and it's people are yeah. so disconnected, and they don't care because you know they take it for granted. It's it's I kind of compared to the dishes. You have to do it. Nobody really likes it. They kind of complain about it. It's just part of our daily life, that sort of thing. My question is, how do we connect with them again? How do we connect with them again? Because listen. I, I'm not even talking about the average person. I'm talking about that that guy that bikes every day because he doesn't want to drive a car, but he wears, you know, cologne that maybe has some petroleum products in it, and he's got the biker shorts on. Or you have the guy that is driving the Tesla in, say, North Dakota, where 70 to 90% of the electricity comes from coal. So here you got a guy driving a Tesla complaining about the coal industry, powering it up every night from the coal industry. How the <laughs> heck are they so disconnected? That's what I can't get. I, I honestly, I, it's a question I don't even know how to answer other than the reason I, you know, you, you caught it with me that I'm trying to watch my, my first off, I'm trying to watch my language because every other word out of my mouth half the time is a cuss word. So, um, secondly, um, I'm trying to watch how I say something because when you're in a conversation or admittedly possibly a heated debate with somebody like that, that there's a disconnect. Like they're clearly not understanding. And you, maybe in your own head you're going, how is it that they can't see the forest for the trees here? How do, how do they not understand that that car that they're driving, regardless of it being a fully electric or perhaps a hybrid, um, still runs because of the oil and gas industry. It is produced in factories, um, utilizing the, uh, the fruits of oil and gas industry, okay? The factory has to run on electricity or natural gas or whatever, right? It's also man-powered by people um, and robots, and all of that has, there's lubrication in the parts, there's, you know, you name it, chemicals, all of that stuff comes from the oil and gas industry. This is from, like, this is just fact. There's no arguing it. And yet, um, when you put logic in front of a person, and I'm not talking about, like, I, I feel like there's probably better arguments, but because I'm a layperson still, I'm still learning about this industry. So I don't claim to know everything about it. I, I hope that's not um, how it sounds. Uh, but I definitely think that if people just stopped and were actually willing to, uh, to use a political term, reach across the aisle, literally open your brain, open your, your hands and, and listen to the other side and give it a shot. Do not wait your turn to speak. Listen and shut your mouth and let it sink in. And then maybe consider that you can change your mind about something. You don't have to be stuck in your way of thinking, unless that's what you choose to do. And I guess that's our God-given right as Americans. You can, we can do whatever we want, except you know, apparently being ignorant um, or you know, willfully ignorant is somehow encouraged as of late. It seems. Jen Decker Wright, Resolute Recruiting, with us. Um, kind of wrapping up here. We're going to get back to the social happy hour happening. 22nd from 5.30 to 8 p.m. in Denver during the Yurtech conference. Uh, women and energy, and then we'll summarize back to the social happy hour again. But uh, you've, been, mm-hmm. you've been pretty involved for the last year, you said, in oil and gas. You are a female. You mentioned that the, the social happy hour is going to probably have some uh, people from a uh, women in energy chapter that is going to be there. Talk to yep. me about your experience and what's going on with women in energy these days. Um, well, again, I've, I've been at this a year in this industry, but um, I've, I'm also a woman and I come from male-dominated fields typically. Like I said before, I was in uh, car sales for four years prior to this, and um, it. I think that women in this industry one, have to have a thicker skin um, because we are the minority. I, I, 
I'm misquoting, I'm sure, but um, I believe the statistics are around 10 to 13% women to men ratio. I'm not really sure. Um, Seems a little high. There, but does it? It <laughs> I, does. I, honestly, at the, at the last three conferences I was at, I'd say easily under 10% women were there. Really? E- easily. Um, yeah. I, was, I, I got that from a woman that has been in the industry like 13 years, and she said, you know, when I started, Lord, you know, it was it was way lower, but maybe it's closer to 10, maybe 13 now. And that maybe that's an optimism, you know, optimistic statistic, um, which, you know, 85% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So um, that being said, I'm optimistic for women's uh, role in the oil and gas industry um, I think that more women are being encouraged to uh, become a part of it. Um, but frankly, um, we're, we're not there yet to where uh, <laughs> there's plenty of guys that do not want to edit their language or their, um, I, I'm going to say it, good old boy mentality that this is a man's world and this is a man's role and a man's job. But I, I would say that um, there are plenty, uh, plenty, plenty of men in the industry, um, dare I say the majority, that are advocates for women in, in this business, um, having a fair shake, actually being able to be promoted and work their way up properly. On the flip side, um, as a salesperson, a, an experienced salesperson, I have seen that uh, a, a goodly amount of women have gone straight into sales roles and are expected to go out and make relationships and or relational um, business uh, contacts and not really fully aware of the product or service that they're selling. So I think that gives women a, um, it's doing us a disservice to put people in that kind of a position without full training of uh, and, and knowledge of the product or service that you're selling, meaning it, it ultimately does look bad if you go out there, you don't know anything, but you're pretty. And, and I can say that as a woman because I've seen it. Um, I've seen it in my prior industry where, you know, they hired the pretty girl, they came in and the pretty girl thought she could just get everything handed to her. Well, guess what? There's, I'm pretty. But I'm also a hard worker, <laughs> and I'm modest. Um, and so I'm just saying that it's not about that. You really need to put the effort in. And I think most women that are in this, in this industry understand full well that they need to outwork their male competitors if they want to be successful. Um, and if they don't know it and they're listening to this, now you know, period. That's it. It doesn't mean it's fair, but life ain't fair. Do it. Wow, I didn't expect that answer. Um, I I heard something similar at the Energy Expo in Gillette, which kind of made me just phrase it as, what do you think about women in the energy industry? I didn't really frame it like a certain direction. And um, what I heard in Gillette was it's there's a group of females that seem to be more concerned about social media and posting instead of getting out there and getting their hands dirty. And that's kind of what you just said. So I'm kind of like, oh, wow, I, I didn't realize this was going on in the industry. And here I am probably going to get shot for being the messenger, I guess. But that's that's, that's an interesting well, you know what? thought. What you just said too, Jason, so for, um, I think it's two separate things. Uh, yes, um, you need to get out and hustle, period. Okay, that's what salespeople should be doing. And it goes for men, too, for God's sake. Don't sit on your ass at home, you know, just posting stuff on LinkedIn all day. You're, you legitimately should be on the phone, and you should be in the offices and setting meetings. That There's no question. That's how business is done, period. Now, with the social media posting, I, um, that's the, the caveat I wanted to say is, you need to be on social media nowadays if you want to be progressive and with the times because we talked about that baby boomer um, retirement, you know, progressive gap when the millennials were trying to raise them up through the field right now. Well, how do they communicate? Um, well, with the newest technology and with social media. So that's what they're used to doing. That's how they're used to communicating. But it needs to be a, um, a mixture of both. And I would say more heavily on the personal interaction, actually having a phone call if you can't meet them face to face 
and then um, otherwise meeting them face to face. I I personally was so intimidated by my current job before as I went into it because I thought, oh, how will they know I'm being authentic? I'll just be on the phone. I won't be seeing them in, in person, and I can't read their body language, and I can't, you know, um, I just I just thought it would be harder. My job would be harder for me, and the truth is, is um, it isn't. And now I get a really great mixture because I get to meet people when they're visiting in town or clients that are here in Denver. And um, that's one of my favorite parts of my job is when I'm actually meeting people in person. Hence this, you know, networking event that we're doing. I'm, I'm psyched out of my mind that I get to meet a ton of people that I've been solely on the phone with because they've been out of state, but they'll be here in, in town for this conference. Or um, I'm excited because I'll, I'll probably meet people I didn't even know that I already knew because I've never met them in person. You see what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I know them from the phone only, and it'll be like, Jen, you know me. I'm, you know, Joe Smith or whatever. And I'll be like, oh, well, this is great. You know, it's it's a pleasant surprise. Um, but to, for the women in the industry, for men in the industry equally, all of this work, the connections and relationships and business and all of that does not work if you're only on social media period and i wrote down some of the pros and cons aren't gender exclusive because you know i mean we're talking about women in the in in energy and really i think that the 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 part that we want to walk away from is yeah there's some pros and cons and some you know some growing Mm -hmm. pains that are happening but the bigger picture is that more and more women are becoming a part of the energy industry and that's a good thing and that is a good thing yes Absolutely. And I think it's bringing more of that compromise that you were talking about earlier. It is mm-hmm. it, it, it is making the industry a little bit more professional, I think. But at the same time, yeah. it's, it hasn't lost that essence of capitalism and that um, enablement of opportunity. Uh, I'm, yeah, the okay. enablement of opportunity. I like that. So, Okay, social happy hour. The, go ahead and give us the rundown one more time. So we, as we conclude the interview, we'll end it on the... I don't want to say high note to a Colorado person on the <laughs> social happy hour note. Uh, well, it is legal here, but not if you're in the oil and gas industry. There's randos. Um, so, um, no, we're having our oil and gas industry uh, professional happy hour uh, hosted by Resolute Recruiting USA at live at Jack's. Uh, it's on the 16th Street Mall in downtown Denver, and our timeline is Monday, July 22nd from 5.30 to 8 p.m. We are hosting uh, drinks. We'll have some food, some barbecue there, and again, plenty of free networking where you can meet people that maybe you otherwise would never meet in the industry, and you never know who you're going to meet that can help you out down the line. So. Um, really excited. Uh, I believe your tech has a, an initial happy hour kickoff, um, to the conference. It's usually after the conference has been, you know, the booths have been set up and whatnot. Um, I believe they're doing something like from five to seven. Um, and so maybe some people will be at that and then swing by our thing afterwards. But we have plenty of people that are like, no, we're skipping that. Let's go. Let's go have this happy hour. It's, it's less, um, formalized, we'll say. <laughs> 